the summary advice that I would give myself is you're okay. Like you're okay even if things aren't okay right now. That if you can put yourself in the way of beauty, if you can trust that deep inner voice within you, if you can find a way to keep moving forward, even when it hurts, putting one foot in front of the other, even when you make mistakes, if you can keep that kind of sense of curiosity and faith that, you know, onward, you know, forward is the direction of real life, which is another sugar quote, um, you're going to be okay. Hello, Cheryl. Welcome to the show. Hi, Christy. It's wonderful to be here. We are so excited to have you for everyone listening and watching. I am here with Cheryl Strayed. She is a New York Times bestselling author. She's the podcast host of the Dear Sugars podcast. And many of you probably know her from her novel Wild, which was adapted into a film starring uh, one of my favorites, Reese Witherspoon. And that's among a couple of incredible things she's done. Tell us what I missed, Cheryl. Give us a little intro and give everyone a background. (laughs) Okay, okay. So, yeah, I'm actually the author of four books. Torch, which is a novel, Wild, a memoir, Tiny Beautiful Things, a collection of my Dear Sugar columns, which was recently adapted into a Hulu TV show starring Katherine Hahn, and a collection of my quotes, Brave Enough, and of course, I also do all kinds of other writing. I, I write, um, you know, just lots of short pieces that are published here and there. And I do, I still do a monthly Dear Sugar column on my Substack newsletter. I love all of your work. I'm such a huge fan and honestly a little bit intimidated to ask like the queen of all advice what her best <laughs> piece of advice is. But I think we should just get right into it because I think people are probably just dying to know. So what is the best piece of advice that you've ever gotten? That I've received, yes. Um, you know, I have to say it's powerful advice that I got from my mother. Um, who, Those of you who've read my work know that my mom died at 45 of cancer. And she was a wonderful woman. And my, you know, her, her, her death really was so formative to me. And something she told me when I was a teenager that I didn't really understand it was advice when I received it, but it did later turn out to be some of the best, the best advice I think I've ever gotten. And it was this, quite simply, put yourself in the way of beauty. And what she said, what she meant is, um, it's up to us to find the beautiful things on the hardest days, in the hardest times of our lives. She would say it to me when I was like a surly teenager and complaining about things like, and I had a lot to complain about as a teenager, I have to say. Um, I didn't have indoor plumbing when I was a teenager. We had an outhouse. I lived in northern Minnesota. Um, we, we didn't have a telephone. We didn't have electricity for part of the time that I was a teenager. So I was always like, I want a phone. I want a shower. I want a toilet. And, yeah, basic um, needs. I, <laughs> but, I would, but just whenever I was being cranky, she'd say, Cheryl, you know, life is always going to offer you challenges. There are always going to be things that make you unhappy or that, that you find hard. And it's up to you in the hardest times to um, put yourself in the way of beauty. There's always a sunrise and always a sunset. And like I said, it was like this time release advice where you're like, ah, whatever, rolling your eyes. That's what I did. And then later I realized, oh, 
That's good advice. Was there a specific moment or moments as you've gotten older where you've referenced that advice in particular, do you think? Yeah. So where it really hit me, like a big, like it was like a kind of tsunami wave of realization is when I was, of course, a few years after her death, hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, uh, the journey I wrote about in my book, Wild, um, you know, I realized, I mean, I had gone on that hike in so many ways because I was suffering so terribly and suffering really because of her death, I was grieving her. And, you know, I was in this, ex- this situation, I put myself in this situation where I literally was there for every sunrise and sunset. And trust me, when I say that those sunrises and sunsets on the Pacific Crest Trail are some of the most beautiful things I've ever witnessed. And I realized, wow, my mother, yeah, what this was a way of teaching me how to save myself. This was a, her way of teaching me a lesson uh, about how to essentially be the agent of your own life and to find what you need. Find um, that sunset or that sunrise if it's going to lift your spirit. Find that that sense of connection. And, you know, obviously other people can help us along the way, but ultimately we can only save ourselves. And I think that that's really what put yourself in the way of beauty means, that is that you get to be in charge of your life, even though you don't get to be in charge of a lot of stuff. You know, you don't get to say this person doesn't get this disease or this person doesn't die or this person doesn't break up with me or, or this person doesn't, you know, fill in the blank. Um, but what you are in charge of is what you do, um, you know, the, the ways that you find the light in the darkest times. I love that. I think it's an interesting perspective when you talk about like, because a lot of people would say maybe that is comparable to being like, find positivity in things like find a silver lining. But there is this trend now of saying like there's such thing as toxic positivity, like there's such thing as sometimes things are so bad that there's like nothing good you can find and you just sit in that badness. Do you think, though, that um, I guess do you think that that would venture into toxic positivity or do you think there's a way you can still embrace the hard things that happen to you and still find the beauty? Absolutely. And I'm so glad you asked that because, I mean, I've thought of this about toxic positivity all my life. It's not just a new thing. Like I, I do, th- and this is the fascinating thing for me in the work I've done as Dear Sugar, because um, first of all, so, you know, I write this advice column, Dear Sugar, and it, it, you know, I started writing it in 2010. By 2012, it was a book, Tiny Beautiful Things. And there I was in a bookstore and you know, I really think of my Dear Sugar columns as really, you know, personal essays. Obviously, I give advice, but they're deep essays about what it means to be human. They're very literary. I tell stories, you know, um, they're not the they're traditional beautiful. advice. If columns. anyone hasn't heard them or seen them in a book, go buy the book. They're beautiful. Oh, thank you. And so, and there's a 10th anniversary edition out now. So there's, it's, it's even new. Oh, there's new columns in it even too. Even better. Know yeah. But I did what not was know funny, that. Oh, you did it. Okay. No, you no. got to get yourself a new coffee. Man. Okay. It's like, got to go yeah. do that on my list. But what was so surprising to me is that, um, there it was in the self help, ex- self help section of bookstores. And I was like, wait a minute. I don't write self help. I don't read self help. I'm not a self help person. 
And which is ridiculous because, of course, I mean, you know, I am helping people. They're asked, they're yeah. writing to me and saying, this is your problem. And I'm like, here, here's what I think you might, that might be helpful. But, you know, and I realized that the reason I was resistant to that is exactly what you just pointed to, is this this kind of trite, kind of very, very often kind of ridiculously um, sort of, you know, sort of look out on the bright side way of thinking about problems. Like, oh, come on, you're just being a pain in the butt. But see, you know, let's just cheer up, right? You know, that kind of thing. But of course, anyone who's read any of the Dear Sugar columns or any of my work knows that, like, I'm not talking at all about doing anything like that. Like, if anything, I'm doing, I say, go, you know, into the the opposite, you know, like, to go into the sorrow, go into the pain, go into the darkness. But the, the gritty truth of it is when you're living through a difficult time, or having an experience that feels the most searingly painful, you know, of your life, or you're genuinely suffering, you know, when you are in that place of truth and pain and suffering, you do get to make a decision. You know, do I stay here and languish and possibly even wither up and die? Or do I try to find... um there's one of my favorite writers, Edna O'Brien. So there's this phrase from one of her books where I'm going to just paraphrase, but she says, you know, when you go into the deepest darkness, it's up to you to find some glimmer in it. And I think of that, I think that's very much what my mom was saying in terms of put yourself in the way of beauty. Um, my mother is somebody who, who had, you know, very difficult things happen to her. And she always managed to find love and optimism. And so to me, it's not, let's gloss it over and get onward with like a sense of like, you know, denying what's painful or hard. But let's say this is, this is painful and hard. And guess what? There's also beauty in it. Um, and almost every, I mean, I can't think of a struggle. I wonder if I can ask you a question too, Christy. I can't yeah. think of a bad thing that's happened to me that I haven't ultimately also been able to say and see that that really bad thing also gave me something that was ultimately important or beautiful or powerful. Even if I could go back in time and say, okay, no, I'll, gi- I'll give that beautiful, important, powerful thing back because I would like that thing to not have not happened. But what I mean to say is those things do happen to us. And it's, you know, we get to choose. Are we going to say this is just all ruin and awfulness and I will refuse to see anything good in it? Or do you say, okay, you know, I am going to find the beautiful thing in this ugly thing. And yeah. that's, the, that's, that's a very gritty, hardcore kind of advice. That's not at all about being positive. It's about being, it's about telling the truth. Yeah, I love that. I, <laughs> that was the most beautiful explanation. It's honestly been a phrase that I feel like has popped up a lot as I've shared quotes. And um, I think just nowadays, and I agree that I think toxic positivity is more the denial aspect of it. Yeah. And I think that what you're talking about is, like you said, truth. It's leaning into the reality of your life. But what I always think when people comment like, oh, that's toxic positivity, is I'm always like, what other option do we really have? Are we just going to just be miserable and just think that our trials and the bad things that happen to us in life are just 
because terrible things happen and there's nothing good from them and there's nothing good we can learn from them. Like it don't like this is almost our only way to preserve our own mental health and our own well-being is to find that goodness. And like your mom said, to find that beauty. Mm-hmm. A- absolutely. And, you know, I, I also think sometimes when people respond with that kind of rage <laughs> to like yeah. a, an optimism, it's like they're that's the moment they're in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, very often you could put up a quote like that on, on, you know, on Instagram or something. And the P and people will respond to it from the place they're in. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I recently had a friend, um, who, uh, you know, just had a, had something really hard happen to him. And he was like, you know, I've, I always, I, I've never been one of those silver lining people, you know, where I was like, well, even in the hardest things, there's a silver lining, you know. And and he was like, I just think that's a bunch of BS or whatever. And then he's like, but, but I have to admit, you know, that, that in the midst of this difficult time, what I've seen is, you know, I'm more aware of like all of the beautiful things in my life. I'm more aware of the ways I'm grateful for my friends and family. I'm more aware of what's really important. And that, and he's like, I, I hate the silver lining thing. And yet it's true. <laughs> you know? And so it's like, it's true. you know, sometimes it's like you, you just have to say, OK, maybe this isn't the most useful quote for you right now. But ultimately, we can't deny that um, just like we've been saying, you know, that, that we, you know, you do have to sometimes say, I will acknowledge that good things happen from the bad things sometimes, that that there are things that I can only see after having suffered or lost or struggled. Absolutely. There, that reminds me of a quote that I love. I think it's Goodwill Hunting and Robin Williams says in it, and it's, you'll have bad times, but they'll always wake you up to the good stuff you weren't paying attention to. And I yeah. remember that quote a lot. Right. I love That's that true. And when somebody hears that in a moment where they're just like really struggling, they might just feel like, oh, yeah, well, screw you, buddy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and that feels harmful to them. But, you know, like that's the that's the whole deal with life, right? You know, you you read a quote and sometimes it rings your bell and sometimes it doesn't, you know, Absolutely. and it means something different to different people at different times. Absolutely. Even me, like when you said to me, what's the best advice you've received? Well, you know, I, I received that advice and I rolled my eyes. Yeah. And I did think my mom was like, oh, mom, you're such an optimist, you know, and, yeah. and I, I take comfort in that now, Christy, because I have two teenagers and I try to dole out all of these lovely life lessons. <laughs> and, and little like, do they know who they're getting their life lessons from. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, a lot of times I want to say to them, listen, kids, you know, <laughs> you may roll your eyes at everything I say, but a lot of people like actually want my advice. But um, like, I just don't have it. <laughs> I just hope that some of it is being absorbed. And I knowing that what I did with my own mother's advice, like I just trust that some of the things I'm saying them to them will come through. Absolutely. I would love to also ask you, I don't, this is probably going to be a hard question, but maybe you know really off the top of your head. Do you have a favorite piece of advice that you've ever given? Maybe it was on your Dear Sugar column. Maybe it was through a life situation. Uh, well, you know, obviously, as Dear Sugar, I have given so many pieces of advice, but I do think that a few of them are are core. So maybe I could share with you a couple of them. Absolutely. Um, one of them is, 
you cannot convince people to love you. That is an absolute rule. And that's that's a line I wrote in the title column of the book, Tiny Beautiful Things. And this one, I think, you know, if if we really can actually believe that and hold that in our hearts, I, I think it would make love so much easier. Because I, I do think that a, sometimes people find themselves in relationships where they feel like there's this scarcity, you know, like they're trying to kind of beg somebody to love them more or want to spend more time to them or be more into them or whatever it is. And I just want to say, like, give up because you're worth, you, you know, what you're worthy of is somebody being, um, you know, just loving you freely, loving you abundantly. And, you know, it isn't possible really to persuade people to love us. We, you know, I'm not saying that we never, you know, should have problems in our relationships or times where you need to say, you hurt my feelings or this made me feel this way or that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that core level. If you feel like, um, you know, that you're always basically begging somebody or trying to persuade somebody to give you love, whether that be in friendship or, or romantic love, or even frankly, you know, I wrote that line from a place, actually, I was thinking about my father when I wrote that line. My father who left my life basically when I was six, you know, and I spent my childhood thinking like, why doesn't my father love me? And and I realized, yeah, nothing, it, it's not my fault. Nothing I do will convince him to love me. And so I think that that lesson, um, that piece of advice is really kind of at core to, you know, when, when a lot of people who write to me with love problems, um, that's the problem is, you know, that they just don't, you, you can't make somebody love you. You just have to go out there and find the people who truly do. Um, I love that. Another piece of advice um, that's that's connected, I think, um, to that is to trust, you know, to, you can't fake the core. The truth that you feel at your center is the truth that you should trust and follow. Um, that, you know, those inner voices that say, oh, you know, I know I should want this or I should do this or I should be in this relationship or I should stay or I should major in blah, blah, blah instead of blah, blah, blah. You know, those things, if you go against that inner current, that core truth within you, it will always lead to unhappiness. I know that for sure. I love that. I love both of those things. I think if people had both of those pieces of advice plastered on their walls, there would be far less <laughs> problems in life. I I couldn't love those more. Do Thank you... you. I'm wondering too, as a quote person, if you have a favorite quote or an affirmation or mantra, something that you repeat to yourself a lot. Um, you know, it's I wrote about this this quote in the in my introduction to Brave Enough, my book of quotes. I wrote I wrote this quote that my grandmother, my mother's mother, um, said to me as a kid, and it's just like it's I never forgot it. It stayed with me, and later I was like, you know, the reason it stayed with me is I think it's pretty wise. It's love many, trust few, and always paddle your own canoe. And I feel like it really encapsulates so much of like, yeah, if you can do that, you're going to have a pretty good life. And I think that the always paddle your own canoe part was especially important to me, you know, because it is about, I mean, it's interesting. I never even thought of it until I'm saying this out loud to you right now. It is in some weird way connected to the quote, my mother gave me. Yeah. Because it's about being, you know, 
the captain of your life. It's about it's about taking personal responsibility for your own well-being and your own happiness. It's about saying like, of course I need others. Of course I need people to love me and be there for me and you know all of that stuff. But ultimately, you know, I need to paddle my own canoe. I need to walk my own path. I need to trust that inner voice within me. I need to have that sense of resilience and independence and an awareness that I have the capacity to direct and change and transform my life. Yeah. Well, and like your mom said, the only person at the end of the day who can find beauty in trials in life is going to be yourself. No one can find that for you. No one can convince you of it. It's at the end of the day, really all up to you. And so I think those really are interchangeable. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, this is a question that I like to ask, and I am rephrasing it a little just because you have such a fascinating story. You've just had quite an abundant life, at least from where I'm sitting, where most of us are sitting. Um, And, you know, you were talked about how you lost your mom in your 20s, which I can't even imagine the pain and all that that brings. And then you dealt with um, addiction and you dealt with divorce. And then you, you went on this hike on your own along the Pacific Crest Trail. And I'm just wondering now, 30 some years later, if you were looking at that 20 year old girl who was in so much pain and struggling so much, what would you tell her? What advice would you give her that you think could help her? Oh my gosh, there again, it's just so much, but what's cool. I mean, so I love that whenever I ask that question, I can go, okay, read Tiny Beautiful Things. The title column of the book is literally a letter, literally a letter that's like, what advice would you give your 22-year-old self? And I wrote that advice. I mean, I wrote that advice in my 40s, but now here I am at 54. And, you know, the big, the big takeaway, like the summary um, advice that I would give myself is, you, you know, you're okay. Like you're okay, even if things aren't okay right now. That if you can put yourself in the way of beauty, if you can trust that deep inner voice within you, if you can find a way to keep moving forward, even when it hurts, putting one foot in front of the other, even when you make mistakes, if you can keep that kind of sense of curiosity and faith that, you know, onward, you know, forward is the direction of real life, which is another sugar quote, um, you're going to be okay. And what I'm struck by, you know, I pay attention to this question when I've heard so many people ask this question. And so often, like pretty much every like older person says, okay, the advice I'd give my younger self is it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You are okay. Right. You hear that over and over again. And so what that tells us is so many of us, especially in our younger years, maybe even in middle age and older, but especially in our younger years, we have that, like when we look back on ourselves, we have that that memory of how uncertain and anxious and afraid we felt, how we felt like we weren't enough, pretty enough, skinny enough, smart enough, successful enough, rich enough, whatever, all the, all the enoughs. And I think what life and age teaches you is, um, you know, that, that what you're moving toward is not more of everything. So then you're finally like, now I finally do have enough, but actually less. That you 
move in the direction of letting go of a sense, that false sense that you need to do something that is enough. All you have to do is learn how to love, you know, live with love and generosity, pay your own electricity bill, <laughs> and, and find a way to feel like at one, you know, it, you know, that the, the unifying, um, I feel like the unifying voice where you live a life that reflects the inner voice that is within you is the greatest form of happiness. And I think that age teaches us that, that we need to quiet that voice that says, you're not enough, you're not enough, you're not enough, and embrace the voice that says, we're not here um, to get more. We're here to keep walking. I love that. I think, I think the concept of doing less and being less is something we do not hear very often. And I think that's such a beautiful way to look at it. I think, um, I'm, I honestly, I'm kind of speechless at how, what a beautiful, what a beautiful, um, perspective that is. And I think that's a beautiful thing about speaking to people. I'm in my twenties. But talking to people that are older, that have experience that I don't have. And you're right. They all say, like, the little stuff you're worried about now actually isn't so big. You think it's big, and it's not that big. And, but then I guess the question is, what do you think actually is that big in your 20s, in your younger years? What is worth caring more about? <laughs> oh, you know, well, the real stuff. I do, I do have an answer to that. Like, the real stuff. I mean, just just to use writing as a kind of example, since I am a writer, um, the the advice I always give to people who are you know in their twenties and saying, "How do I get published? How do I get published?" Uh, my advice is uh, stop focusing on getting published and start focusing and, and focus on being a good writer. You know, like focus on the real thing. Like, how do you get published? Is you write something that um, others say we have to read this. You know, and I, and I do think that sometimes we can get, we, what we do is we leap over the important thing, which is the work, the internal work, the, the, the professional, you know, apprenticeship, whatever that is, because we are all so trained in our society. We are, we are, we are to be like the external validation is, is the mark of success. Right. Yeah. And so to focus on the real thing instead of the external validation, that is absolutely so key to a sense of of well-being and and also like it eventually leads to greater success because like yeah. if you're always you know if your marker of success is outside of you you're doomed really ultimately because you know someday you're not going to you're not going to get that external thing so if you can answer that question within yourself did you do the work did you give it your all that's success when when wild was published um Let's see, I'm 54 now, and Wild was published 11 years ago. So I was 43 when Wild was published. And it's my second book. I'd been a serious writer since I was like 20. Um, and so I was a writer. Like I'd been a successful writer before Wild was published. But because Wild, of course, became like so successful, I spent like a year or so being asked, Oh my gosh, like, what's it like now that you, you've had this big success? What, hasn't your life changed so much? And, you know, and I always would very truthfully say, like, um, well, yeah, my life hasn't changed that much. I mean, like, because yeah, I can now afford to pay my bills for the first time. That was true. Financially, I had financial security for the first time. 
But my, my actual life life, like my sense of who I was in the world did not shift for two reasons. One, I already considered myself a successful writer before Wild was published. Um, I had done, I had answered those questions within myself. I had done the work. I had done this to, to, to the best of my abilities. I was really, you know, doing what I was called to do, you know, and I had been doing it for decades by the time Wild came out. And so it wasn't that like Wild comes out and, and it's a bestseller. And then finally, I'm like, finally, I've, you know, finally, my dream is true. I'd already made my dream come true because I had, I had shifted the lens, the lens, the lens of my, you know, the, my achievement wasn't like outside myself. It was inside myself. So that was one thing. Um, and the other thing was, was that like, I had really had a sense of like really very clearly recognizing that, you know, that kind of external validation does lead to, you know, a depletion essentially of your, of your self-esteem. Like, you know, if you're always asking others for permission, if you're always asking others to tell you you're good enough or you're okay, if you're always asking others to reassure you, to say like, you know, that they love or like you rather than you saying, I love, you know, like, what do you feel for that person versus what they feel for you? Like, if you put all of those validating factors outside of yourself, there again, you're doomed to have this sense of scarcity rather than abundance, of failure rather than success. So um, I don't know if that is your question. No, kind of a it lot, absolutely does. <laughs> no, that absolutely does. I was thinking I was thinking about several things as you were talking. I was thinking about a quote that I love that says, if happiness is always somewhere else, it's never where you are. And that yes. really resonated with what you were saying about that external validation. And also just the fact that I think we always, the things that matter then in your 20s are everything that take place inside of you is kind of yeah. what I gathered. Everything that takes place in your mind, in your heart, how you are transforming the way you look at the world and the way you look at yourself and nothing to do with the people around you, the jobs you get, the promotions you do or don't get, um, that. The focus should be internal always, I yeah. think. And, and I think sometimes that that gets mixed up in people's minds with a kind of narcissism. It's like, well, how do I feel about that? Is that, that's what's matter. Yeah. That, that's what matters. I'm not saying that at all because of course, what I'm saying here again, it's kind of like the put yourself in the way of beauty, beauty, not being like a toxic positivity thing, but rather like a deep radical, um, kind of real self-care where you say, even in yeah. the hard times, it's up to me to find something bright. Um, when you look, when you do the thing I'm talking about, when you say like, actually, my measure of success is, is like, did I do this work rather than did I get the raise or the publication or the money or the fame or whatever? Yeah. Um, then when you can do that to yourself, you can also then apply it to other people so Absolutely. that you're looking at somebody and you can say, there's my friend who's the documentary filmmaker. And yeah, they've never managed to like, you know, finish a film. But wow, I so admire that work they're doing because I can see like my my measure of their success isn't about some external thing either. That like, I don't think my friends who have like fame or the jobs that pay jillions of dollars or something are the ones who are the successful ones. Like you, your view of the world shifts too. When you can, when you can view yourself with generosity and compassion and love, and I guess really a more nuanced um, kind of 
insight, you can you can view others in that way too. You look at the world differently. Yeah, absolutely. I think the way we treat people is always a reflection of how we feel about ourselves. And so I think the more that we cultivate our own well-being, it's the opposite of narcissism. It's actually us trying to put our best foot forward to the people around us, our marriages, our families, our friends, everything around us will be affected by how good we feel about ourselves and how much confidence we have in ourselves and our abilities, I think. Oh, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. <laughs> well, I, um, okay, real quick, if it, I just want to ask, is there a worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Well, yes, I have been getting. <laughs> oh, good. I knew you'd have one. It's from the same person who gave me the advice. I love the 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 love many, trust few, and always paddle your own canoe. My grandmother, my maternal grandmother, my mother's mom. Um, when I was a teenager, and she sort of, and I had a serious boyfriend, and I think she was getting like freaked out. Um, she said to me, "Here's my advice for you," and and she said, "And even when you're married." Never, ever, ever let your husband see you naked. Like never take off all your clothes in front of your lover or husband. And I remember at 14, when she told me this at 14, and I was just like, so kind of like, you know, disturbed by this and imagining like my, my, just my grandmother all of her life having never, I mean, she was married to my grandfather for like, you know, I don't know, 60 years or something. And um, never fully naked in front, in front of him. And I have to say, as somebody who has given a lot of like sex and love advice, that that is not advice that I would give. <laughs> I think that is pretty up there on bad advice. But I think if we go into a deeper meaning of that, I think given her probably her generation, women weren't really as open as we're allowed to be right now. And I think it's a beautiful thing that now we are naked in so many ways. We can be naked in front of whoever we want, whenever we want emotionally and in a vulnerability sense. And so I think that it was probably also a question of maybe a product of her generation that was just people, oh, women sure. kind of kept to themselves so much more. Oh, yeah. And then, I mean, that's it's, it's actually, to me, a really sad advice because it's it's yeah. exactly what you're saying. I mean, she not only was of a different generation where, um, you know, really women were not allowed to be sexually liberated at all. And really, we were supposed to be uh, ashamed of our bodies. But she had another yeah. layer of that because she was raised Catholic and was Catholic. And there was there's a lot of, you know, body shame where it's like, no, cover up, don't, you know. And and I think, too, this feeling of like um, her, she was also thinking that that was some way that she could have power by staying alluring was to be not vulnerable, to be not exposed. And, you know, yeah, I think it's, it speaks very much to the values that she was raised with and continue to live with. And I feel lucky that I, even at 14, could think, you know what? Bad advice. Yeah. Yes. I think that was wonderful bad advice. Thank you. Wonderful bad that, advice. Yeah. Wonderful bad advice. Um, is there one last quote? of yours, maybe someone else's, that you think someone listening right now might need to hear and you want them oh, to gosh. listen to? You know, I always, I'm, I'm always like trying to memorize the quotes <laughs> because I'm like, okay, um, 
you know, I carry them around in my mind. And then the minute I'm ever asked for them, like, I'm like, what? what's a quote <laughs> that I live by? I don't know. You could take um, a second, too. If you need to I'm, look it up, we can cut this okay, out. I'm going to look. look I, I think I yeah. have a little, a little quotes thing. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I just know people. And also, if if you need a scurry, I'm sorry, I'm over time. I'm seven minutes over time. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, don't worry. Okay, we're okay. Okay. okay um. So let's see. I, there's a quote that that um I absolutely just turn to again and again, and it's not so much um a quote. It's actually like it's it's kind of two or three lines. It's it's the entirety of a poem by Raymond Carver. My son's name is Carver, so he's named after this writer Raymond Carver, who was an amazing short story writer, but he was also a poet. And it's a short enough poem that it really functions as a quote. And it, here's what it is. And did you get what you wanted from this life? Even so, I did. And what did you want? To call myself beloved, to feel myself beloved on the earth. And I think that that came to mind for me, really just on the heels of our discussion about like, you know, those, those important things that really matter. When I was saying like, you know, the advice I'd give my younger self is to like, Remember that, that, you know, that, that the real achievement is feeling love and being beloved and to lo- and loving others. The real achievement is connection. The real achievement is doing the work you're called to do. The real achievement is listening to that truth, the truest inner voice within you who knows who you are and knows what you want. And I feel like that poem is, is about that. It's a wonderful reminder. The poem is called Last Fragment by um, Raymond Carver. And I, I think that. Another cool thing, you know, so much we've been talking about, like, oh, if you look back at the beginning, what would you have done differently? And that poem is obviously a kind of almost like end of life thought. Um, did you get what you wanted from this life to call yourself beloved on the earth? You know, and to say, yes, I did. I think that's the greatest achievement of all. Well, I think the mic can be dropped now. I think that... um that is the most beautiful conclusion we could have to this conversation. I um, cannot thank you enough for taking the time to join us and for sharing your wisdom and all the work that you've done. I know I've shared your quotes on my page, but honestly, sometimes I just like Google online, best real straight quotes, and that will just be my inspiration for the day. And it makes my day better and it makes me feel seen and understood, which I also think is something a lot of people are looking for. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Christy. It's been a delight to talk to you. This has been wonderful. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much for listening to The Shift.